This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. Bob Warming is one of the good guys. With over 40 years of coaching experience, he knows a thing or two about coaching education, which is why he is ready to flip American coaching education on its head and start offering free clinics for up to 200 coaches every single year. He also hopes that this program that he is starting catches the attention of others who have the resources who can offer experiences like this for even more coaches. Hint. U.S. soccer. Uh, I would spend more time talking about this in the intro, but during the interview, Bob does an excellent job of describing exactly why he's passionate about it and why he is doing this. So I'll move on. After a failed attempt at retiring, Bob is now coaching again at the University of Nebraska at Omaha. And I said again, but he is just coaching again. It's not his second time coaching there, but he is now coaching again. Okay. Um, Bob has incredible stories about guiding players through the American soccer landscape, and he is not shy when it comes to highlighting the fact that he's pushed a good number of players into professional playing careers and also coaching roles. His knowledge of working with agents and contracts is exceptional, and he's not afraid to say some of the things that a lot of other people shy away from. Bob considers himself a player's advocate, After listening to this podcast, you will also realize that he's a coach's advocate. Bob is a longtime friend of 343 and has a great relationship with Brian and Gary Clyburn. You'll even hear him joke about Brian's Instagram account during the interview. What you will also hear Bob say is that he's a lifelong student and is always seeking out new learning opportunities, even to this day. He recently made a trip to study at PSG and said that he never misses an opportunity to watch Brian train his teams whenever he is visiting Los Angeles. He's a big fan of Brian's work and loves the education platform that 343 has built. You will hear him talk a little bit about that during the interview as well. And if you are curious about what he's referring to or talking about, you can see some of the video examples on 343coaching.com and get a feel for what is offered to coaches there. Members of the 343 Coaching Education Program have already seen the drills that Brian uses and the process he's gone through to develop pros. Members of the coaching program should also know that their support is actually what helps fund this podcast. And I just want to take a moment and say thank you because we appreciate you all so much. If you are not a member and you are wondering what a 343 membership can offer you, just know that it is the complete online resource that will help you reduce your trial and error time and help you get right to the work that matters. You will learn the cutting-edge training techniques that have been proven to develop better and smarter players, better and smarter teams, and better and smarter coaches. I want to make sure that I highlight something, though, because I feel like I always skip over this. I don't want anybody to be intimidated by the fact that I said that this program helps develop pros. It does, but it's also a great program for any coach or any team from U10 all the way up through college, and yes, even professional soccer. Uh, The 343 Coaching Education Program gives you insider access to exclusive videos of training sessions and full games with additional education from ebooks, audio interviews, Q&As, and online forums for networking and collaboration with other coaching members. If you would like to learn more and explore all of the benefits of becoming a 343 Coaching Education Program member, you can visit 
343coaching.com. That's the numbers 343coaching, all spelled out, dot com. All right, without further ado, I am incredibly uh, honored and extremely excited to share this interview with you, and I hope that you enjoy this conversation with Bob Warming. You ready? Uh, ready to hit record? I'm, I'm ready. The sound okay? Yeah, it sounds fine. It sounds fine. Um, all right, cool. Well, uh, for people that that don't know who you are, I guess they're they're probably going to want an introduction um, and and a little bit of your your background. Um, so if you can maybe start with with yeah who you are and and what you're up to these days, and and maybe backtrack a little bit about your your history or your past with uh with soccer in this country <laughs> uh, how long do we have <laughs> uh, well i think uh in in brief um you know there's a saying in the south i grew up in the south that it's a poor frog that doesn't croak on his own pond so i've got some things i'm proud of so i'll i'll, I'll talk about them real quickly uh I've been a, a college head coach uh, since 1976. Uh, I had a couple of stints out of coaching. One, I became a Division One athletic director, uh, quickly got back in. I actually retired from a, uh, a career that I, I couldn't have had it any better. I retired for 59 days. <laughs> and uh, had, had moved to Omaha, Nebraska to be with my new granddaughter and my daughter and my wife who had already moved out here and started teaching. But I basically retired and walked away from uh, three more years on a contract at Penn State, uh, a great contract that I just signed because I wanted to be with my family uh, and watch my grandchildren grow up. So as luck would have it, uh, the house that my wife picked, while I was not even involved in the process, other than she just said, I just walked in this house, and Bob, this is where we're supposed to live. And I said, okay, you got to do it. Ended up and was directly across the street from uh, the University of Nebraska at Omaha, which is where one of my former players is that was the head men's coach, Another one of my former players was the head women's coach. Two miles down the road was Creighton University, which is a program that I started from inception in Omaha. And the head women's coach there played for me. The two assistant coaches on the men's side both played for me and coached with me. And I was in absolute heaven for 59 days. I was going to practice sessions. I was hanging out watching uh, the kids talking with the coaches afterwards about, hey, Bob, what do you think about this? What do you think of that exercise? It was like uh, the perfect retirement scenario. But the guy who was the head coach at University of Nebraska at Omaha, I had talked out of taking a couple of jobs, but he took a job at Real Salt Lake. And it was his dream to be a coach in the pros in a pro academy. And he took the job. I couldn't talk him out of it. And they, they asked me to come take over the team. So I'm at the University of Nebraska at Omaha now. I'm proud to be there because it's, uh, it's an emerging program. 
we won't be quite as strong as we, we thought we were going to be because yesterday our leading scorer just signed a professional three-year contract in the first division in Slovenia. And uh, I'm super proud of him. And Party got the, the gig there because of a lot of things he'd done in his life. But we had just come back from a tour up in Canada where we played some, uh, some pro teams. And uh, we went 4-0. and And Elvira scored in every one of the, the matches against some, some very good players. And uh, he, he got the contract that he and his family wanted. And uh, that's been a continual theme, thankfully, in my life. I've been so blessed because I'm the only guy in the country that's had a player drafted in 21 of the last 22 drafts. And in total, I've had over 60 players sign professional contracts. And as proud as I am of that, the thing I'm most proud of is a team sport. We've, uh, we've won uh, a record 28 conference championships uh, more than any other coach in Division One. So I'm really proud of the things that the team and the people that have worked with me have been able to accomplish. And uh, that's the reason I say all those things. <laughs> it's an amazing story and and you can you can kind of tell just by the brief mentioning of how many players have now turned into coaches as well so you've you've spawned a lot of uh replicas of yourself it sounds like as well as you know a number of professional players so you're obviously doing something right well uh, hopefully they're much better than i am uh all those guys <laughs> i think most most of them are and but i'm really proud that i've got uh, a lot of guys that are coached in division one but also guys in division two division three high school coaches club coaches uh most of them have another profession as well that they do and i'm proud of them for that Bob, I'm really curious with your with all of your experience with having the guys signing professional contracts and and now not even just domestically uh, abroad as well. Do you offer these guys like any type of advice or guidance when they're when they're going through this? And and if so, what what is that like for you and the player, or you the player and the family? Well, I can you know, there's no truth without a story. That's one of the things I constantly say to my guys and um, the stories are uh, like this we had a guy in uh, 2010 not that long ago who led the nation in scoring uh, for us at Penn State his name's Corey Herzog and uh, he had gotten some interest from MLS and they wanted to sign him to a generation Adidas contract and uh, was going to be $65,000 and some bonus money and this and that. And I said, Corey, don't you dare sign that. Uh, and don't you dare sign with an agent because your only negotiating power that you have right now will be taken away when you sign with an agent. When you sign with an agent, you lose all of your negotiating power because the agent isn't uh, can't use that you can go back to school as leverage. Once you sign with an agent, it's over. I said, let me try to see if I can help you. So Corey ended up and signed a deal for $125,000. MLS put a separate pot of $60,000 away to, uh, for him to complete his education. Uh, he got uh, free car, free apartment. Um, so I've, I've tried to be an advocate for our players. In Elvira's case, the one that happened yesterday, is a completely different scenario. 
I gave him some things to to be cautious about. But Alvir is fortunate in that his cousin, uh, Fadad Ibasevic, uh, plays in the Bundesliga, uh, has probably made $20 million over the last eight or 10 years playing. And so Elvir's cousin's attorneys looked at the contract and gave blessing on it. And then I just talked to him about some other things about healthcare and uh, history in the club of kids playing with concussions and this and that. And I said, you can't, you're not going to get that from anybody, but the players. So you really need to talk to the players on the team and get the temperature of what that's been like uh, within, within the club. So, you know, a lot of people have vested interest. As you may know, a guy places a guy in Europe. He's probably going to get, uh, if he's an agent, he's probably going to get $50,000 for doing that um, if he's an unaffiliated player. And a lot of, there's guys that will sign three or four guys over in Europe and pick up a decent amount of money. I, you know, I never take a penny for doing that. I'm, I'm, always, I'm just trying to be the player's advocate. No, that's that's an awesome story, and it's it's stuff that people don't normally hear about, and and it's kind of like the, I don't want to say like the the back room deal part of it, but it's it's just it's something that's not publicly known, and and when these guys are going through that process, they're they're young guys, especially the guys that are doing it before they even get to college, they don't have you know that experience of even being on their own at all, but the guys that are that are you know twenty twenty one twenty two that are coming out of college. It's like that's a brand new experience for them having to negotiate these contracts. And it's very important, I think, to have somebody like you to to kind of to guide them through that. And with all your experience now, I'm sure that it's uh, it's, it's easy for you to, to kind of see through all of that, uh, at, all that stuff and and give them the good advice. Um, yeah, I wouldn't say it's easy, but I would say that there is a real need for more player advocates. Uh, the first contract that the player signs is probably his most important contract. You know, there's, there's standard FIFA contracts, but, you know, percentages can get written in on all different kinds of things about what happens with your, your transfer fee. <laughs> and uh, that can be a bad deal for a kid. So players need advocates for sure um, because you're 100% right. They just – they don't, you don't know what you don't know, and you, you have very few people in that process that have real loyalty to you, that you can really trust, and that really have respect for you as a human being. They may respect your playing ability, but you are a paycheck for an agent. And it's kind of scary when you put it like that. <laughs> well, it's, it's just the truth, and I'm not saying all agents are bad. Believe me, I'm, I'm not saying that. I have good friends that are, uh, that are agents, but they, you are, um, you are their paycheck. And the owners of the clubs are guys who are trying to like, it's like an art dealer. You, you, you try to buy something, a piece of art as cheap as you can and then sell it for a higher price. So they, in some ways, may not have your best interests in, at heart. Um, in some ways they do, because they want you to progress and proceed. But that's just the system. That's the system, and, and you really need to have your eyes wide open uh, if you're really a talented player or if you're a coach of a talented player about how you deal with those situations. 
I'm going to, I'm going to tell a little story right now for, for people that are listening. And, and it just reminded me of a, of a conversation I had recently about a Argentinian player that got signed in Spain, actually in a, in a little, um, uh, smaller section of Spain, Gibraltar. And, uh, and the person, the club owner that brought him over there had given the players fake visas. And so they had to cross the border between Spain and, and Gibraltar every day thinking that they are like, Oh cool. Like we're playing professional soccer and we have, you know, we're visa, we have where we have our visas. We're fine. We'll come to find out they all had fake visas because this guy ended up being like a, you know, a, a super criminal and had all these players over there and then stopped paying them and was threatening them. Like, Oh, it was like a mess. And, and, and it's just the side of the, the story that people don't always hear about. And so I wanted to make sure I, I mentioned that on the podcast before I completely forgot about that story. Cause I tend to do that, but, um, that's a rough story, but unfortunately there's, there's a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, there's no, a I... lot of them. And, and, uh, you know, we just, we've been in a little bit of a rush in some ways to, to get everybody to be a pro. Um, in this country earlier and earlier. And, um, it just hadn't always worked out. I understand. I understand. Um, yeah. So that, that's kind of an interesting thing. I didn't, I didn't actually anticipate talking to you about that. Um, but, but you being a, a player advocate makes sense when I think about what I did want to talk to you about, which is you being a coach advocate as well. So you're, you're getting ready to, you know, start a a free program for, for coaching education. And you're really, you know, on the side of coaches in America, having access to information because it's, it's been a difficult road for a lot of coaches. I'm, I'm one of those coaches. It took me about eight years to get into a C course. Um, and just think about that. Everybody listening, just think about what this guy just said. (laughs) <laughs> it took you eight years to get in. I mean, think about that. And all you wanted to do was learn. Uh, so yeah. I'm assuming I'm assuming that you've heard similar stories to what I just said. Then, because if you're if you're getting ready to offer a free program with a great lineup of coaches that are willing to give information to to people for for free, uh, I, I'm assuming that there's a reason behind that. You're the reason. I hadn't heard your story, but uh, thank you for sharing it. <laughs> thank you for sharing it i've heard that story unfortunately in a lot of different versions so um look we all know we have and, and one of the things that i absolutely love about about brian and gary is that they've they've put tremendous tremendous content uh available uh for people to see and and this this generation is the best video learners in the history of the planet um, young coaches are, young players are. No one's ever been able to learn from video as well as they can and, and take that information and then apply it. But part of, part of coaching education to me is connection. We talked a little bit about that before the, the podcast. Is when you go to a clinic, you connect with other coaches. And, and sometimes you learn as much uh, from those connections as you do from what the, what the presentation is, because you make sort of maybe even lifelong connections out of it. So I thought there was a real, first of all, if you, if you, even if you got in that C license course, it was going to cost you $3,000. Young coaches, you know, when they're in the acquisition phase of their life, they're, they've, they're young and they're acquiring a 
a place to live and maybe a car and maybe they're married and children. They prefer $3,000 is a fortune for them, a fortune for them. And, and access is difficult. So you take the cost and access um, equation. How is a young coach going to continue to develop? So I just decided in the 59 days that I was retired, <laughs> I, I, I thought a lot about what I wanted to do and wish I would have done uh, in the coaching world. And one of the very first things I did when I got the job is just said, I want to have a free coaching education uh, seminar every year. I'll commit to a minimum of one year at our facility. And um, so we've capped it at 200 coaches. We have actually, because a couple of people uh, have changed, we have actually a few openings right now, but we're going to cap it at 200 people. And they're going to get an amazing experience of some terrific coaches uh, and, and that's going to be great, but they're going to meet people there. I'm going to have a social with, uh, free beverages and, uh, hors d'oeuvres that night, uh, I'm providing and, and, uh, for everybody to hang out for a couple hours together, I'm going to give people a couple of topics just to fold into their conversation if they would with people. But otherwise it's a couple hours to, to have 200 plus coaches hang out and drink a few beers and talk about the game. That's so, amazing, man. Uh, so I'm really, I'm really excited about it. Uh, yesterday, I drove to Kansas City, Missouri, and met with Ian Barker, who is one of the guys who's going to present, who heads up the, the, the coaching for United Soccer Coaches. They were formerly called the NSCAA, and he's a great clinician. And I met with Lynn Burling Manuel, who's the CEO of the organization and a director of marketing because obviously U.S. soccer and maybe a little bit them, but more U.S. soccer has gotten some blowback about why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing these kind of things? And so I want to help them. I want to, if eventually a U.S. soccer ever gives me a call and says, Hey, we we're interested in this. What do you, what's the benefits and, and how your, I'm happy to do that. But, uh, we need. We don't need one of these. We need a hundred of these. We need a hundred of these going on, and it's easy and it's simple. And you can find a couple of people who love our sport who are willing to help sponsor it. And now we can really make some progress in this country. Not a licensing thing. It's not not licensing. It's continual education and connection with other coaches. That's super important what you're mentioning about connection. And, and I can relate to that because for three years, we, we did what we called a summit, a coaching summit. Very, very cheap. It was, I think, all said and done, like less than 400 bucks every year or 500 bucks every year. But it wasn't a license thing. Um, wasn't a license thing. It was it was just a learning and a, and, a, and a connection thing. And so what you described about the beverages and the hors d'oeuvres and things like that, that was the most important part to me about the experiences that we put together. And we made it kind of like a destination thing. We did it in Las Vegas so, you know, the guys could hang out and they could go gamble and party. And, and they did. And they, and they created a, a very, very strong relationships. And I think that from the small groups that we had, you know, 40 coaches each year, 
a lot of those guys are still in contact and a lot of those guys are still especially in contact with us but um it, you know they're they're reaching out and, and and they're learning from each other still they're they're connected on social media they're exchanging videos and ideas all the time and that's the the to me one of the biggest parts of of the education process is creating those connections and and those long lasting relationships because a powerpoint goes away you you see the powerpoint for for 30 minutes but then it disappears and the information eventually fades from your head uh, at some point too but the the connections and the continual learning and and the 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 next experience that you could have by going to visit another coach or or play a friendly against somebody that stuff never stops and and i'm very very excited to hear that you are um doing something similar to that i'm 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 curious how it's going to play out and, and how people can uh, get get a hold of, of the information that you guys are, are going to be able to put out there. I think you said you're going to record some of this stuff. and, and We are. And we'll drip it. some of it out. Yeah, we're going to drip some of it out. We'll end up in footage. Uh, you know, my son has a, a soccer business. He has a, he also has we – have, we have a free website for coaching education that um, – We'll put some stuff on that as well. It's, um, but I really, I think the way you articulated what happens, I know what's a wonderful event that uh, 343 has put on. The, the, the connections that happened there, John, I'm so, you really articulated that really well about what fades in life, but what, what, what remains and uh, connections with each other. In our sport, are just everything. Oh, it really is, and and I can already tell you that I've I've I'm only three months removed or two months removed from my C course at this point, and I can't tell you, you know, what the powerpoints were about, but I can tell you almost everybody's name in the class. I can tell you where all those people cool? live, and I can I can tell you I'm friends with a lot of them on Facebook <laughs> and on Twitter, and and we text, you know, we texted throughout the entire World Cup. So, you know, I, I basically paid, you know, a couple thousand dollars for, you know, some connections and, and the learning was, was good. Yeah. But I don't, I don't think that was going to be as impactful on my actual, you know, coaching as, as these relationships ultimately will be. And, and I, I, yeah, I, I can't, I can't tell people enough how important it is for people to get out of their bubble and to go see other coaches and to go you know, yes. have a beer with other coaches or uh, introduce yourself to, to the local college coach or, or anything, because those are the, yep. those are the most valuable experiences. They're really cool. You know, the, and the, uh, this goes a ways back, but when I first started doing my U uh, S soccer coaching license, it was actually a two week process. You went one week at residential. And in that week it was all uh, learning. Uh, you took a little time off. You came back for another week that you signed up for, and that was all primarily testing. Uh, at that point, you had to do all kinds of fitness testing for yourself, technical exercises. Uh, it was, you know, Detmar Kramer had started a lot of things. There were a lot of, a lot of really technique-related things that were important for the coach to be able to demonstrate and do. But the point was, is that, uh, for example, in my C license, uh, my roommate was Jay Vitovich. I had never met Jay before. I didn't know who he was. And Jay, of course, has gone on to become an amazing coach. But I couldn't wait to see Jay again, to talk with him again, 
at the when we went back for our second session then. And we became we were actually roommates again for our A license. And um we're just random. Random but it the relationships that you build from that last well, they're gonna last thirty years. And it's it's really cool for the guys like me that have been in it that long. That is, that is pretty cool. Where where does uh where does Jay coach now? So Jay was the head coach at, at Wake Forest University. Went to uh, four consecutive uh, Final Fours with his teams. Um, his team played in a, played an amazing style of play, fantastic possession style, ball on the ground, dynamic in the in the final third. Just destroyed teams for four years. He had a great run. He ended up and, and took a job and went to work with Caleb Porter at uh, in Portland. Oh, that's and cool. Things were, yeah, and, and was coaching the USL team there. Thought, yeah, I'll just take this thing to the pros. Things went a little sideways maybe in, in Portland, and he came back, and he's got back in the ACC now, took over a winless uh, program in the ACC at Pittsburgh, University of Pittsburgh, and now he's got them on track. They'll be in the NCAA tournament next year. They're already winning games in the ACC. And he just does a terrific job with player development and team development. I want to I just highlight that I, I, I enjoy the language that you use when you said that they destroyed teams. Because I, and I'll, I'll give you a short story. So I had the very fortunate experience of interviewing Anson Dorrance recently. And... Um, <laughs> and Anson's Anson's uh, language, not not that he was like using foul language, but he used words like destroy and kill them and things like that. And I just think that it's funny that you know in 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 soccer, especially in youth soccer, you know you can't you can't say those types of things. People look at you weird and and they're like, oh, well, you're supposed to be fun. It's like no, you're supposed to win. Like you're supposed to destroy teams. You should you should want to do that those types of things. So it's it's just funny to hear you you college guys like you got you guys have the right mentality. <laughs> well, you know we're competitive men. I think that uh, Anson is one of the most competitive humans I've ever met, and uh, hopefully he says that I'm in his top fifty. But I think <laughs> when, when 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 you're when you're competitive, you understand that the the that we are all of, and he's done a great job in player development. But we're also, if you're really going to develop competitive people, you have to give them competitive language. Uh, I've said many times, I cannot think of a reason for colleges and universities to sponsor men's soccer or women's soccer. Except because financially it's a huge drain on athletic departments with virtually no return except for the idea that we are comp- we are honing the competitive instincts of men and women to be competitive in their life uh, and be competitive, as Che Guevara said, without losing their kindness. I like that. I've never heard anybody put it like that. Well, Che was pretty smart about some things. <laughs> yeah. Um, hey, so I want to I want to make sure that people get get the idea of of what's going to be offered at at the seminar that you guys are putting on. So, like, what are the topics that you guys plan on covering? Um, 
and and who are some of the other people that are involved so they can kind of look up like you know the quality of the people i've had i've had ian on the show by the way and and it was a great interview with him i'll, I'll link to that in the show notes so people can kind of get a feel for who ian is and and where he stands in this whole coaching education landscape um but but what are the things that you guys are hoping to cover and and outside of the connection aspect of it, what are, what are some of the takeaways you're really hoping that people get out of this? Uh, I'll, I'll just say the first one for me is, is, is selfish. Uh, when I started the program at Creighton university in 1990 and 1989, I took over the, just had me a year to, to, to start the program. They had dropped soccer at Creighton here in Omaha uh, because they'd never won a game in division one. They'd never had a winning season. And most importantly, they'd never had over 150 people come to the game. So uh, the AD, when I took the job and the challenge of doing it, I said, what's, what's important to you? And he said, well, I just tell you, if we're having 150 people come to the game again, we'll drop it again. Oh, it's okay. So I, I didn't, I didn't have any assistant coaches. And so, um, I just, said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to every club. There are 32 clubs in Omaha. I'm going to do, go to every club and do a free coaching education session for the coaches, work with some of the kids, and tell them if you learn one thing, bring your team. That's my deal. So the first game, uh, we played at a city park. Uh, we had 3,000 people. Wow. A local, a local kid from Ralston High School, John Carroll scored a side volley from the top of the 18 um, in the upper 90, and Creighton Soccer was born, which has been a pretty successful program and went, and went on from there. So, <laughs> uh, so I decided when I took this job at UNO, we have an amazing stadium, amazing stadium, incredible stadium, the largest video scoreboard of any college soccer stadium in America. FIFA two-star rated surface is the only FIFA two-star rated surface. Great stadium, blah, blah, the whole thing. But we got to have people in it. So I decided selfishly to blow up this idea of if you learn anything, bring your team, uh, blow it up, and then it evolved from there. So uh, we're expecting a, our, our very first game, ironically, uh, is against Creighton. So... <laughs> So we're expecting a, a sellout, and and uh, in part because of the clinic, but for other reasons as well. But the uh, the lineup, to, so to go to the lineup of what people could expect, um, Ian is is one of the best clinicians. He is one of the brightest guys. He can compartmentalize information and distill it to people so cleanly, and to players so cleanly. He's a good model for anybody to watch and listen and learn from. Uh, Ian, uh, as well, has provided, and NSCAA has provided uh, manuals that we'll be able to, we're giving free to everybody in their coaching bag with some swag I've got for them. And those manuals are going to have exercises to do if you're coaching under eights, under tens, under twelves, all different things that they've put together for those things. So a, a, a new coach is going to get a cookbook. Uh, of things just from that. Uh, a little higher level is we have uh, things as well, but it's very interesting because he does a lot of stuff with youth. We have Miguel Ferron's coming. 
He's flying in from Barcelona. He's the CEO of something called the Econo Soccer Method. It's the soccer method that's used by Paris Saint-Germain uh, in their youth academy. I was at PSG three months ago and watching training and uh, met the guys uh, there and told them about the clinic. And, they, and I asked them if they would come and do a presentation. They said, sure. So uh, I was really impressed. It's a very unique uh, way of training, uh, a lot of unique ideas. They're selling a lot of players out of that group. They're doing a lot of things right. So I think that's going to be a, an interesting take on uh, on training ideas that uh, we're not seeing. They're also on the cutting edge of doing stuff with virtual reality. Oh, so cool. that uh, so I think he's going to do a little bit of a lecture presentation about that about where they are in the process. So, for example, let's say you're a central midfield player and you receive uh, balls from different angles as a central midfield players. It's an opportunity to get in repetitions of scanning the field with the VR headset on and seeing different images and picking out the best choice for your pass. And then you get another pass and another pass. And again, it continues to go and goes faster and faster. And maybe all of a sudden you're getting 500 mental repetitions in uh, 15 minutes. That's insane. Uh, it's a really crazy idea. They're really far along in it right now. I'm excited to see his presentation about that. Uh, because, again, one of the things I told talked about earlier is this is the best video learners in the history of the planet. I've always used video, but now to make it interactive and it's not autocratic, it's interactive. It's not telling you to do something, it's giving you options and you selecting options and then recording those options and, and being able to talk about it. So that's a very interesting topic. I think that's gonna be uh, maybe important in the near future and in, in how we, we may be training players. Um, can you imagine doing that on a recovery day with a with a kid? I mean, what a, what what a, what a deal that could be. So uh, Miguel will be doing a presentation, two presentations. He'll do one in the lecture, and then he'll do one on the field, uh, working with some of our uh, own players. Um, yours truly will do um, a couple of presentations on the triangle training method, um, a methodology that we use for the most. Uh, something that's maybe a little bit of uh, missing in player development. Uh, if you go to any training session, basically uh, you go to watch Pep, you go to watch uh, Jurgen, you watch any of these guys, they do some portion of virtually every training session with using mannequins uh, for pattern recognition. Not necessarily a particular pattern doing thing, but recognizing spacing and pattern recognition uh and that transfers down to i went to arsenal's deal where they did 45 minutes with all their youth players in one of the sessions 45 minutes of it and they were doing it every day so this pattern recognition training i don't think you'll find mannequins on many fields and in in the u.s and, and academies where they're doing it you'll find it in a few but not many so we're going to do a whole session on how you teach pattern recognition training, but then quickly go from that into small-sided games that emphasize the, using those same patterns in the same space that we just did the passing exercise. Because as coaches, we're trying to find the, the most efficient way to do the maximum number of repetitions 
and the shortest period of time that are all functional for a player's position. And then we have a guy named Paul McVeigh that's coming. Paul spent 14 or 16 years playing professionally in the Premiership. Uh, he's um, he is going to do a presentation on uh, on winning mentality, on creating a winning mentality. He has a great little part of the presentation. I think people will really enjoy. Is it shows a video of him playing against um, Cristiano Ronaldo and Manchester. United, and he was a good young talent for sure when they signed him, but no one really had him at, when they signed him in the top 75 or 100 players in the world at that time, and then fast forward not too long, and now people are talking about, is he one of the greatest of all times? And his presentation is about what did he do and how did he do it to get there? Uh, and how could you replicate some part of that with your own team? So I think that's going to be an interesting side of it. And then there, we have a rising star. Last clinician is a is a rising star, a guy who played uh, played for me, coached with me, a guy named Tim Walters, who's our head women's coach at UNO. He coaches a club team on the side each year. His record in Region 2 uh, in our regional championships is 11-1-1. Uh, and uh, went to the national championship again this year. He's really, really good at training youth players and uh, helping them be successful with a beautiful style of play. So he's going to do a whole training session with his UNO women's team. And uh, we'll have lots of handouts for the coaches, lots of swag for them as well. That's what they could expect. That's that's going to be a, a, a lot of stuff. And, and you mentioned, I think, when you were telling your story, about when, when you had just started the Creighton program, you kind of went around to all the different coaches and saying, hey, like if you if you learn one thing from this, come to my game. And I think that's something that maybe people should really focus on during you know, during this process or during this new program that you're running. It's like, hey, don't don't expect to go there and, and, and change the way that you're coaching it completely. It's not you're not going to flip your style on, on its head. But if you can leave with you know, one or one or two things, massive, massive success, massive success. So that, that's a, that's an important thing. hundred percent. Not trying to change anybody. Uh, but one thing can make a difference in coaching one player. And that one player may be our Luka Modric is out there in our country. And we got to find that guy and develop him. And, uh, so I, you know, I think there's, there's a small mission to it. There's a bigger mission and there's a mission that I hope that will last for those guys and, and women that come for their lifetime in terms of building relationships with other people that love the game like we do. Bob, I can't tell you how much of a joy this conversation was because we hit on literally everything that I like to talk about. We talked about agency stuff. We talked about coaching education. You mentioned <laughs> drinks and food and <laughs> all kinds of other stuff. <laughs> By the way, I don't know if you follow Brian on, on Instagram, I all the time giving him crap because I've never seen a guy post more pictures of food and, and alcohol than that guy. <laughs> and I love it. I love it. Well, he and Gary and I went in the last time we had a nice steak together and it was a fantastic meal. And I can't wait to see those guys again and do it again because <laughs> it's the relationship. Right. And, uh, so yeah, the food part and the, the drink part are, are a key part of, of enjoying our lives. 
I need to I need to step my game up on the food, but I post a lot of my drinks, so uh, <laughs> maybe I need a lifestyle change. <laughs> That's so terrific. Uh, I, hey, so uh, let me ask one one last question, and it's a question I, I've enjoyed asking the last like three four months worth of worth of podcast. So you can take it and um, and run with it however however you want. But what what do people and maybe coaches specifically need to know right now? In what regard? Yeah, so that that's the the beauty of the question. You can kind of take that and, and and run with it however you want. So it could be with coaching education, with the American soccer landscape, with global soccer. What 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 comes to mind when when you think of what people really need to know when it comes to soccer? Be open minded. Keep your mind keep your mind wide open. Filter it. Filter what you learn, but keep it wide open. I've been a head coach for uh, over 40 years uh, and been involved in the game a very long time. Whenever I go to, to L.A., uh, I, I never fail to go watch L.A. Galaxy youth train. Uh, whenever I'm, I get an opportunity to, to go watch a session with someone else that I really respect, I never fail to do it. Keep your mind open uh, if you want to go in this journey and don't think you know, know it all or you have it figured out because the game is unrecognizable from where it was 10 years ago and really unrecognizable from where it was 20 years ago. And that's not just in youth soccer. That's watching the World Cup. Every eight years, you see a pretty major shift in how things are done. Uh, you center backs have to play a completely different way right now than they did 12 years ago. Uh, and I think that's been reflected in, in a lot of high level play, but you certainly could see that in the world cup. I think there's, um, there's, you, you just have to want to be a continual learner and be humble, be humble that, um, there's, great diversity in how our game can be played. And the more you keep looking and observing, the more it will laser your focus on what you think is really going to help your particular team. Because every team is going to be so different that you'll ever coach in your life. You can have the same players back the next year, but they're different. Physical maturation, things have happened at home, think injuries, they're going to be different and you'll have to change how, how you'll coach those guys. So uh, that's it. That's, me. That's, my, that's not one thing, but it's, it's compartmentalized, I think, into one thing. And it's important. Coaches need to hear that. Uh, I think that's a, a beautiful spot to, to end the conversation. I think people are going to get a lot out of listening to you and, and your advice and your knowledge that you've acquired over, over your coaching career. So I, I really appreciate you making time to – to share your to share your stories with with all the coaches that listen to the show. You know what I'm looking forward to? What's up? <laughs> I'm looking forward to, I'm looking forward to of hosting the podcast and you're my guest. That's what I'm looking forward to right now. That's going to happen. I guarantee you that's going to happen. Hey, you've yeah. got a great story to tell and I'd love for people to hear it. I'm down. I have I have uh I have a lot of stuff I can I can get off my chest probably, so I would love to do that someday. <laughs> Sounds good, buddy. Thanks so much for doing what you're doing, and say hi to a couple of my favorite guys out there, would you? All right, I sure will, Bob. Thank you so much. See you, pal. Bye-bye. All right, later. Later.
right. Thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 podcast. And a big, humongous thank you to Bob Warming for coming on the show and for dropping a bunch of knowledge on me and on you, hopefully, because I feel really, uh, I feel really great after that conversation with Bob, and I hope that you get the same feeling as well. Uh, if you would like to find more conversations similar to the one I just had with Bob, or if you just want to learn a little bit more about 343, you can find more of what we offer at 343coaching.com. So there are free courses, there are coaching education programs, there are ebooks, there's interviews, there's all kinds of stuff there. Um, and I also want to share this little bit with you from Tom Beyer about his experience with one of our online courses at 343coaching.com. And I can tell you, after someone who's done a lot of coaches' education, both as a student as an instructor, that you will learn more by watching one or two of their videos that you might learn on any full-time course. Because the, the one thing that I like about what they're presenting is, again, it's simplicity, man. It's very simple. It's not a lot of, you know, complicated words. It makes sense. And it goes right directly to the heart of, of, of the game on, on, on how, to, how to develop. Um, not just, you know, individual players, but develop teams as well. All right, that's it. If you want more information, you can find it at 343coaching.com. Thank you guys for listening so much. I really appreciate you guys. And we will catch you next time here on the 343 Podcast.